Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Todd. Uh, I'm the lead pastor. Really glad that you're here. For those of you I don't know, glad you're here. Happy Thanksgiving once again, and uh, glad that you're here. Hopefully, you had a good Thanksgiving. Hopefully, you had a nice time with family and friends. I know that for uh, a lot of you uh, who stayed here, uh, you know that Hilton Head Island Community Church was, was busy over the Thanksgiving holiday, and um, I just want to give you a little bit of a report. Uh, as most of you know we were part of, as we are every year, Operation Christmas Child, and uh, this year we packed a bunch of boxes. I think our previous uh, high number was uh, last year with 212, and uh, this year there were three different packing parties, and um, we totaled, we, we packed as a church, we packed a total of 338 boxes, which is just awesome. Isn't that cool? So absolutely. Give yourselves a hand this morning. Uh, last uh, Sunday, they carried all the boxes over to Grace Church, packed in three different cars. And I want to thank a few people for being a part of that. Um, Beverly Hunter Daniel, I don't know if she's here or not, but she led our effort and did an amazing job. I'm just so thankful for Beverly and her leadership. And uh, Hope Smith and Corrine Steinbauer and, uh, let's see, uh, Bonnie Newbold and Ed Callahan were all a part of this as well, as many of you were in packing your boxes. And thanks so much for being a part of such a great ministry and a great organization. Uh, we will do it again next year. Thank you so much for your generosity. Also, um, on Thanksgiving Day, I don't know if you realize, we are a part of a community Thanksgiving dinner that takes place. And um, this year, the community Thanksgiving dinner fed the most people that they've ever fed. Dave and Gail Bisbee just gave me an update. They fed over 1,500 people this year, which is amazing. Isn't that incredible? Absolutely. That's incredible. They were also able to raise $10,000 to reinvest in the Thanksgiving dinner, which is a high, and what, a, what an amazing thing. Um, and here's a really cool part. Here's the part I am really proud of is over 65 of you took your time away from Thanksgiving Day to go help them uh, and volunteered at our Thanksgiving dinner. So thank you so much for being a part of that. That is awesome. I love that, man. That is what it is all about. Hey, today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. We're continuing and actually concluding in our series called Come Together. We've been in this series for a number of weeks, and we've been talking about some of the things that are very divisive in the world and how we as Christ followers have a certain responsibility to promote unity. And I'm going to ask our, our worship leaders to come up on stage because today we're going to be talking about harmony. And um, we all thought it would be a good idea. Do you notice I said we all so that like I'm not the only one under the bus? Uh, we thought it would be a good idea for you guys to experience what harmony sounds like today. And so uh, I don't know, uh, you know I'm, I'm not a musician, um, which is why they didn't ask me to actually be a part of this, so I'm just saying. Uh, but uh, I want them to, uh, to show you what it's like when, when music works very well together. And so today, I think one of you is going to start off by singing the melody. And I want you to hear the melody here this morning. So if I got that right, did I get it right? Can I be a, a music teacher? Yeah. All right, go ahead. Go ahead, Stephanie. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Awesome. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Oh, Beautiful, isn't it? Why don't you give it up for Stephanie? All right, Stephanie. <laughs> 
All right, now we're going to do we're going to do the harmony. Is that right? Yeah. We're going to add one. Okay. So Cynthia's going to jump in, and I want you to hear this as they sing together. Yep. Here we go. Hallelujah. Awesome. Woo. Two part. All right, now James is going to jump in, right? We're going to do three part. Here we go, maybe. I was going to, you're preaching, right? Aren't we switching gears here? All right, all right. Three part harmony. Here we go. Hallelujah. Our God reigns. Hallelujah. Our God Isn't that cool? Why don't you give it up for Cynthia, Stephanie, and James this morning? <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. You know, that is what it's like when um, we work together. That's what it's like when music comes together, when all the different parts come together, and, and you heard three-part harmony there at the end, which is just absolutely beautiful. Different parts of the same song, same words, but man, when you hear those different sounds that are so incredibly different, when you hear them together, they're a beautiful thing. And church, I want you to hear today that the job of the church, the job of the Christ follower, our job in our society, in our culture, is to demonstrate and to show the world that is so incredibly deeply divided what harmony is all about, what real unity looks like in the midst of the differences and the diversity and all the different things that seek to destroy us. And God's word has so much to say about this idea of harmony. And today's message, what I want to do is, is really to give you five practical ways that you and I can demonstrate what it means to live in harmony. And I got to tell you, these principles that we're going to look at today that are largely taken from Romans chapter 12, I, I believe that these are principles that the church is supposed to live by, but they're principles that really apply to, to any relationship that we have. They, they apply in our marriages, they apply with our kids, they apply in our homes, they can even apply students at school, in our jobs. They apply in several different areas, and today I want to begin by taking a look at an Old Testament passage, because the Old Testament has a lot to say about unity as well. Let's take a look at Psalm 133 and talk about what, uh, uh, what God intended for the church to be. Psalm 133, verse 1 says this. The psalmist wrote these words. He says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now, this is the psalmist writing this psalm, and he's using language, and he's using words that are very specific. And sometimes in the English translation of the Hebrew word, we, we kind of lose the, the depth of the meaning, because this verse is just packed 
with meaning. And I think we lose a little bit of it. This is the ESV. That's the English Standard Version. It's the version that we use here, kind of our, our kind of standard version here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. But even in this version, we lose a little bit of the punch. And I want you to check this out. The word good means desirable. The, the original word meant, meant desirable. And so what the psalmist is saying is he's saying that it is desirable. It is like of the utmost importance. It's kind of like our goal and our desire. And the word pleasant here means agreeable. He says how incredibly desirable and, 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 and agreeable it is. And he says, when brothers, and I'm going to add the word sisters because the intent of that verse was to, to cut across all of, of all of us and for all of us. And, and then he uses this word dwell. He uses this word dwell. And this is probably the most fascinating word in this verse. Because what he's saying here is he's saying how good, how desirable and agreeable it is when we dwell, and what he means by dwell is, is when we sit down, when, when we um, inhabit or remain or settle in. Man, there's so much there, isn't there? I mean, there is so much there. Behold, he says, that's, by the way, an exclamation to, to grab our attention. Behold, he says, how agreeable, uh, how desirable and agreeable it is when you and I sit down, when we dwell, when we inhabit, when we settle, and when we stay in unity. And the word unity means what we think it is, but it's a little more in depth than that. It means holy, holy, W-H-O. It means that we are together. And so the psalmist is saying that it is agreeable and it's desirable when you and I sit down and when we dwell in unity, when we settle in. I know that um, a lot of you were away this week and you were probably with people you haven't been with uh, you know, for months or maybe even years and you sat down and you probably settled in at some point in time over dinner, over turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing, um, hopefully without celery. That's not my favorite thing. But anyway, so uh, you hopefully you sat down and you settled in, and hopefully at your table, at your Thanksgiving table, there was unity. But let's face it, unity is very difficult for our world to come by. Agreement, this idea of coming together and, and remaining and settling in with unity is not what our world does. Our world does just the opposite. Our world is made up of so much division. We focus on the things that we so disagree on, and we, we focus on the things that we are divided on, and so often we don't settle in in unity. We settle in in what? In division. And unfortunately, the church in many ways has led the world in settling in with division. When in reality, God's intent for the church is that we settle in in unity. The New Testament talks about this as well. And of course, we're going to take a look at Romans 12 in depth in a moment. But uh, the Apostle Paul, who also wrote the book of Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, he says this in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. Check that out, verse 10. 
I appeal to you, he says, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree together. The word agree there, you know what it comes from? It comes from, it's very similar to a word that we get that uh, has to do with evangelism. It means to speak with your mouth in agreement. It means to give voice to your agreement. It's not that, you know, we just like agree with our attitude or we agree with kind of who we are. It's not just that. It's like, let's give voice to our agreement. Listen, Paul, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, is saying that we with our mouths, we need to declare that we are in agreement. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, utter with words to express is what he means there, that there be no division among you. He says that there be no division among you. And the word division there, you know what it means? I have this connotation or I have this idea in my mind that it means this huge gulf of division. You know what it means there? The word literally comes from a word that means tiny crack, a small crack, a tear, if you will. And so Paul is saying here that it is of the utmost importance that we all come together, that we agree, that we utter with words and express that there is no tear among us. Now, does that mean that we don't have differences? Does that mean we don't have disagreements? No, but it means that publicly we come together in unity. We're going to see what that unity is here in a moment. But one little small tear can lead to a nightmare situation. In our driveway, um, those of you who live here in the South Carolina low country, uh, these pine trees are terrible on driveways, aren't they? They're awful on driveways. And we've lived in our house since um, uh, 2009, and I saw a picture from 2009 the the other day, and I had to look twice because I said, wait a minute, that's not my driveway. That is not my driveway because that driveway that I saw of a picture of my house in 2009, it was asphalt and it was perfect. It was perfectly flat and straight. And, and if you look at my driveway today, there are pine tree roots that are pushing up out of my driveway and they're pushing the asphalt and they're creating huge cracks. And I have to drive over those, and, you know, we have to, like, you know, the kids have to ride their bikes over those, and it's really a, a pain in, in the tail. And so, but those things began as a very small crack. And listen, church, with our relationships, with the relationships that we have, one small tear can lead to disaster. One small tear can lead us to be wildly divided. He says that there there would be no division among you. He says that you would be united. And the word united here that he used, the word that we have in our English language for united, it means to mend or to fix. Oh, man, I wish I could get my driveway mended or fixed. I wish I could do it without paying money. I wish I could do it easily. I wish I could go out there this afternoon and say, hey, I got my driveway fixed But you know what, church, we can, we have the opportunity in our relationships to mend and to fix what has been broken. We have the opportunity to show the world when there is a tear what we can do to come together and be unified in Christ. And so he goes on and he says, 
that we should be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. The word their mind means thought or attitude or understanding, and the word judgment means intent or purpose or declaration. And so he begins with this idea that we need to utter, we need to with our mouths speak the unity, and he ends with this idea that we also need to be unified not only in our words, but also in our thoughts or our attitudes. You know, I realize that um, when it comes to uh, our relationships that are horizontal, it's really much easier said than done, isn't it? It's really easy to talk about unity. It's easy to talk about what it means to be unified. But it is so incredibly hard to do, isn't it? It's really hard to pull off. It's one thing to have the play. It's quite another to execute the play. Some of you found that out yesterday in your sports teams, right? Like, it is much easier. I found that out with the Atlanta Falcons on Thursday night when they played the Saints. It is much easier to have the play than it is to execute the play. But Paul in Romans, in his writing to the church at Rome's, I think gives us a little bit of a game plan. I think that he gives us kind of a, a, a playbook that's, that's it's not easy to pull off, but it definitely has some handles. And I want us to take a look at this. Now, I understand that um, this is the new church, and Paul's writing this letter to a church in Rome. Rome was the big city. This was the New York City of, of this day and age. This was like the capital of everything. Everything uh, that, that was important from education to finance to governance to all parts of it, it began in Rome. And just like a pebble in, in a, a lake or a lagoon, as we call them around here, um, it, it you know, has impacts and it spreads from Rome. And so Paul is writing this to a church, to a group of Christians in a very important city at a very important time because the culture of this day, Rome was becoming much more of a melting pot. In fact, all of the you know, known earth at that day was becoming much more of a melting pot. People who once were divided were now put in the same area. People who once lived out in foreign lands were now coming to some of these cities. Rome was becoming much more diverse. The church was leading the way on diversity in many ways because the church said that Jesus' message was not just for the Jesus believers. It wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for the Gentiles. It was for all, as we talked about, as Peaches helped me talk about last week. It was for all who believe. And so what came with the diversity and what came with that melting pot was sometimes a lack of harmony. And so Paul speaks to this in Romans 12 as he talks all through Romans 12 about what it means to be unified. He says this in verses 16 through 21. He says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. He says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. He says, never be wise in your own sight. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of, what is that last word? All. In the sight of all. 
then he says this in verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with, say that last word again, with all. And then he says, beloved, he gets very personal here. He says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then he comes back to the main point in verse 20. He says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then he ends and kind of wraps it up and summarizes it by saying, do not overcome, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, I, I want you to hear this today. This is Paul's message to the church. And church, I think in 2018, in our extremely divided world, I think that we have this responsibility as a church to show this increasingly divided world how to come together despite the differences that we have, despite our diversities, despite our disagreements. Is, is Paul saying here that we are to never disagree about anything? No. Is Paul saying here that we should all look and act and sound exactly alike? No. He's not. But I believe what he's doing here is he's giving, the world, he's giving the church here a blueprint, a game plan to demonstrate to the world what it means to live in unity, to fight despite our diversities and despite our differences. And I want to give you five points of what I think Paul was saying and how we can live in harmony with one, one another. The first thing, how do we live in harmony with one another? First and foremost, we've got to rely on the message of Jesus as our personal purpose in life. We've got to rely on the message of Jesus as our purpose in life. If we forget the message of Jesus, church, we've forgotten who we are. The message of Jesus said that God sent his son into this world to die on the cross, to sacrifice his own life for the sins of the world so that those who believe in him will have everlasting life with God in heaven one day. And so our purpose is to follow him, is to be like Jesus. And, and the whole message here in Romans 12, verses 18 or 16 through 21 is the fact that like Jesus changed everything. Man, I, we're, listen, we are fooling ourselves. I'm fooling myself. If I believe that Jesus, who had the power to raise himself from the dead, to give us forgiveness of sins, to give us a relationship with God in heaven one day, we are fooling ourselves if we believe that that power can't be transferred to the relationships that we have with each other. we call ourselves Christ followers, then church, we should act like it. We should act like it. And I think part of the reason that we may not act like it, myself included, is because in the moment 
when there is a disagreement among us or when there is a disagreement in your household or when there is a disagreement at work or at school, when there is diversity, when there are those things that the world calls on us to separate us, in the moment we forget, we momentarily forget that our main purpose is Jesus and he changed everything. When our purpose is Jesus, then our relationships are going to be different. When our purpose is for his kingdom, then the way that we operate with other people are going to be different. Rely on the message of Jesus as your purpose in life. Secondly, recognize that our differences are a part of God's creation. Recognize that our differences are a part of God's creation. Verse 16 there says, live in harmony with each other. You see, God wants us to celebrate the fact that he is the great creator and that he is the beautiful artist and he desires for himself to have glory, not just because of the saving work that he did on the cross, but because of creation. I had a professor back in seminary who used to say, the creation story is the backdrop of the redemption story, and I love that. And what a great thing that you and I enter into when we celebrate our differences. Some of you are like, yeah, we celebrated our differences on Thanksgiving and food began to be flung across the table. I get that. Sometimes those things that are different differences, sometimes those things, they, they naturally divide us. And that kind of leads me to this next thing, this next point, and that is respond to anger with compassion. Now we're getting to the real deal here, aren't we? Respond to anger with compassion. I want you to let that sit in. Respond to anger with compassion. He says this in verse 17. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. He says, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. He says in verse 19, never avenge yourself. He says in verse 20, to feed those who are hungry, even if it's your enemy, to give those who are thirsty something to drink, even if it's your enemy. And in verse 21, he says, don't be overcome by evil, be over, uh, but overcome evil with good. Uh, see, he, here's the deal, church. If we live in our own power, if we live like with ourselves as our own foundation, if we live without the power of Christ within us, we are going to naturally do what society in the world says to do. And that is, is that when we are done some sort of evil to us, that we are to get revenge, right? That when that coworker who did something to you to take from your deal or to get more glory than you get in the office or in your job. The world says that we are supposed to one-up them. We're supposed to get back. We're supposed to have revenge. And the world will even tell us how to do it. What Paul is telling us to do here is to flip the script. He's telling us to flip the script, which I realize 
if you're a teenager and you're in high school or middle school and you've got someone who you've got a beef with that did something to you and you flip the script and you do something kind and generous for them even though they've hurt you, I realize that is a very dangerous thing to do. And that's exactly why Paul, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, is telling us to flip the script. Husbands and wives, if you feel like you've been hurt or harmed, Paul is saying, flip the script. Do something that's positive for them. Respond to anger with compassion. I heard it said recently that your response is your responsibility. I love that. Your response is your responsibility. Man, that is easy to say. That is hard to live by because there's two parts to that. Number one, we are not in control of what someone else says or does or how they respond. And number two, it means that we are only and are in control of how we respond and react. And so respond, Paul says, to anger with compassion. Number four, reconcile to those around you when peace is broken. (laughs) You know that person that just seems to always have an issue with someone? You know that person that's like, like they've always got a beef with someone else, right? Like if they were like, you know, a publisher, they would be putting that on the front page of their newspaper, right? Who I've got a beef with today, right? See, and here's the thing. If you're like, I don't really know anybody like that, then it's probably you. So anyway, uh, you know, <laughs> Paul says in verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on who? On you. He says, live peaceably with all. Listen, church, it's our responsibility to live peaceably with everyone. And there are peace seekers and there are peace breakers. And our job is to be people who seek peace, to be people when peace has been broken, to be the one that initiates restoration, to be the one that initiates reconciliation, that person that ghosted you, who you haven't heard from in years, who you used to be great friends with, maybe you are the one that's supposed to reach out to them and initiate with them. Maybe the responsibility is on you to reconcile with those when peace has been broken. And the last thing is this, reply with love and a generous heart to those who are not peaceful. And Paul is telling us here, when at all possible, live at peace with all. He says in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. You realize what Paul's saying there. He's saying there is a godly, gracious way to let God get the revenge for you, and that is act with kindness. And when we're kind, that's when reconciliation begins. Reply with love and a generous heart to those who are not peaceful. We all just got done celebrating Thanksgiving. And the first 
Thanksgiving feast happened in 1621. It was three years after the pilgrims landed in the New World. And we all know this story. We've been taught the story. And there's about 30 different versions of the story. I'm sure they're all right. Right? That's the way history goes. But I'll tell you one thing that has been confirmed is, is that those Native American Indians who got together with the pilgrims on the first Thanksgiving, they had been abused by people who came to the New World prior to these pilgrims coming to the New World. They had been enslaved in many cases by people coming into the New World. They had been mistreated and they had been abused. And in 1621, 90 American Indian warriors sat down with 53 pilgrims. And for three days, they broke bread together. They celebrated together. They gave God credit for the bounty that they had had together. You see, both sides of, of a coin that was wrought with conflict and differences, came together. That first Thanksgiving meal was, yes, it was about giving God glory, but it was truly about coming together. It was truly about reconciliation, both sides sitting down in unity together with all of their differences, not just skin color, not just their background, not just their religion, not just their culture, but all of it, they put aside for three days. And they came together and they showed the world what it means to have harmony. And church, that's our mantle of responsibility. That's the torch that we need to carry. For far too long, the church has told the world what divides us. It's time for the church to tell the world what unites us. Jesus talks about the fact that our job is to show the world our love. And yes, he gives instruction to go out there and to love the world and to do all of those things that we do as a church to feed people at Thanksgiving and to wrap Christmas boxes for kids who don't have it around the world to show our island that we are for them, for HHI. But it begins right here. It begins right here. It begins in your homes and it begins in your schools, students, and it begins in your workplaces. It's time for us to work together and to come together in Harmony Church. What will you do to be a part of it? Father God, I thank you so much that you're a God who forgave us, that you're a God who reconciled yourself to us, and that you're a God that loved us so much that you would send your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that if we put our faith and our trust in you, we can have eternal life with you one day. God, we thank you and we give you glory for that. But God, I pray that you would help each one of us who's gathered in, in this place and those who are within the sound of my voice to realize the responsibility that we have as your church to be unified around you. 
God, in a world that is deeply divided, in a world where words are so, they're used so radically and so uncontrolled that they almost don't have any meaning anymore. God, I pray that we would be people who are peace seekers. God, and I pray that today um, that you would just prick our hearts, Holy Spirit, that you would help those who are gathered here today if there's someone that they need to reconcile with, a relationship that's been broken for a very short period of time or a long time, a deep hurt and a deep scar or just a paper cut. God, I pray that you would help us to realize that those little tears can become deep divisions. And Father God, in the strong name of Jesus, would you give us the power and the courage, not based on our own power and courage, but based on you to be able to go to that person and to reconcile, to be the initiators of peace and unity. God, so that the world would see that's the best way that we can make change. God, is for the world to look at us and go, I want something of that. God, I pray that we would be people who proclaim peace in our relationships and that you would receive all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, I pray.